Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. It's good to be here. You know, I used to say, is it good to be in the house of the Lord? Which, you know, we know what we mean, right? But how many know we're the house of the Lord? Isn't it great to have all the houses of the Lord here this morning together so we can celebrate the goodness of God? Amen. You know, something I'm learning as I, as I grow older and, and you know, eventually you, you just receive more and more revelation of, of who God is and what he's about. It, you start to realize that there's certain things that matter and there's certain things that don't. And uh, even just talking with a brother this morning, you know, it's, it, it's, it's not that we always agree on every doctrine, but we do agree on this as the body of Christ. It's central to Jesus Christ. Amen. And so Jesus said that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. And so we know that Jesus was not just the doorway, but he also was the perfect picture of who God really was. Because all through history, people had all different types of ideas of who he was, what he was about. The Apostle John says that no one has ever seen God, except, basically he says this, paraphrase, except Jesus. And now he has explained him to us. Although we know that there's Old Testament characters and heroes who saw God, but they only saw parts, only glimpses, only pieces of who he was. And so Jesus came to say, let me clean this up a little bit and bring us together. So I think it's important that we look at, when we hear the the term word of God, the first thing we should think of is Jesus Christ. I'm not downplaying the scripture. The scripture is inspired. It's amazing. But the scripture points us to Jesus. I like to correlate it like this. John the Baptist, how many have heard of him? How many know that he wasn't the light? He wasn't the Messiah, but he came to point to the Messiah. Scripture is the same way. The scripture is, it it shows light, of course. It shows us truth, of course, but it points us to Jesus. And so Jesus should be the lens that we look at everything through, amen? Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to look at a scripture we looked at last week. In this scripture, there's so much richness and goodness in it that um, I'm kind of putting some, some ideas together to maybe just really dig deep into this scripture about reconciliation and really understand this. But last week, we, we talked about something. I want to recap just a little bit because it's going to be a springboard into where we're going today. But we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting with verse 18. It says, Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, in other words, more specifically, that God was in Christ. When was that? About 2,000 years ago, right? God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. In other words, bringing the world into favor with himself. This is beautiful. Not counting their trespasses against them. Sin is not an issue between us and God. This this blows my mind. This is what Jesus came to do. Now, does sin matter? Of course. The wages of sin is death. I mean, there's always consequences. I I like to say like this, you you make a dumb decision or do something dumb, you're going to reap something dumb back. I mean, that's just what happens, right? And the biggest issue with sin is that God doesn't want to see us suffer the consequences of doing things that go against the grain of love. You know, what I'm realizing more and more is Jesus gave us one command. He says, love others as I've loved you. And I'm starting to realize something that if you ever do anything outside of the grain of love, it's sin. 
Because if, if you're walking in love, you won't do things to hurt people, to hurt yourself. You won't make wrong decisions. You won't steal. You won't kill. You won't destroy. There's all these things. So it all goes against that grain of love. And Jesus came to say, listen, I'm establishing a new way of living, which is through love. It's through peace. It's through right standing with God. It's through joy in the Holy Ghost. It's called the kingdom of God. And it's a beautiful way to live. So this reconciliation, it's, it's two-part. First of all, God says, I'm going to take care of this whole deal. I'm going to put the world, all of creation, back in the favor with me. But then he says, your job is to go tell people that I've done it. Reconcile them. Because there's one thing that has to happen. You have to believe it. You're not going to operate as a child of God if you don't believe you really are. You follow me so far? And so our job, it isn't, and we talked about this last week, it's, is the, real, is the good news really that good? Because I had gotten this discussion with some other pastors, and one of them said, you know, I think that it's important that we share the bad news so that the good news is better. And I just kind of looked at him, well, I, I don't agree with that. <laughs> and so we can agree to disagree, because whenever you add bad news to good news, it's no longer good news. It might be okay news, it might be still bad news. So, so the good news is that God has reconciled the world to himself. He's brought us in the favor. He calls us his offspring. This is what the Apostle Paul said. And he's telling them, we're all the offspring of God. This is what Jesus has done. But you just aren't aware of it. You're an unbeliever. So will you believe? And many of them at that time, we served so many different gods, said, yes, we believe. But he was trying to tell them something, that this is a brand new way of living that came through Jesus Christ. So we talked about that last week. Is the good news really that good? We answered questions like, what is the gospel we share, and how do we share it? And, and I use this analogy of my little son, and, and for those of us who have little children, and, and maybe you can remember back as a little kid, remember I talked about the importance of birthdays. And we love to celebrate birthdays, especially as little kids. Now, as we get older, it doesn't matter as much, but we love to celebrate birthdays. And, you know, we have cake and we have ice cream. Say hallelujah. Can I get a witness? We have cake and ice cream. Ice cream, cake. You put them together. It's amazing. But we have cake and ice cream and goodies and games. But what is the most important thing to a kid? Presents. The gifts. My daughter, Bianca, 28 now, she still loves presents and gifts. But, you know, I, I said, just imagine for a moment that your kid is sitting in a gift opening chair and he's looking at this gift table. That's what we call them, gift tables. And it's just beautiful, present, shiny. There's bows, there's bags, it's colorful. And, and he or she is so excited to open these gifts. And you say, you love those gifts? Are you excited about the gifts? They're like, yeah, I can't wait. Okay, well, before you open the gifts, I want to take a few moments to tell you why you don't deserve the gifts. Now, you guys laughed this week. You guys are horrible. Last week, it went silent. They're like, you're, you're, you're a horrible father. Why would you do that? Before you can open these gifts, I'm going to tell you how bad you've been and why you don't deserve it. See, I don't think that's how the gospel should be shown or should be shared. And so it's important that the good news stays the good news. The word gospel in the Greek means almost too good to be true news. If the gospel you're speaking is almost too good to be true, that God's already done it, and all you have to do is believe it, then that's the gospel. And so we talked about the gospel. We talked about the idea of salvation. Because salvation is so important. I think the translators did a good job, because in the original, you can look at a few different words. There's the word soteria, soter, sozo. It all means salvation. It's that whole idea of salvation. And what we've done, though, is we've translated. One of the words is saved. 
And I don't think it's a mistranslation. But a lot of times when you say, if you do this, you will be saved, we say, well, what are we saved from? And for some reason, it's become about afterlife. I'm saved from hell. Uh, I'm saved from uh, an eternity spent without God, however you want to term it. Um, I'm saved to heaven so that I get a ticket to heaven. I get a get free out of hell card, whatever it might be. We presented it as afterlife. And some may disagree with this, but I don't think that the good news has has. It has something to do with afterlife. Do I believe in afterlife? Yeah. After this life, there's eternity with God. I believe that. But how many know, and if you don't, this is so important to get, that salvation is about here and now. I mean, through the parables of Jesus and his stories and what he showed, his signs and wonders, what he did, he was trying to show people this is what the kingdom is. Salvation means healing, preservation, safety, deliverance, wholeness. And it's not in the sweet by and by, it's here and it's now. That's why Jesus would heal people. Whether it was emotionally or physically, he was saying, this is what the kingdom does. It's complete healing. That's why he would restore people. It's about restoration. That's why he would deliver people because it was all about deliverance. That's why he would take broken people and he would make them whole again. Why? Because salvation is about being whole again. It's about being human again. You know, we had for so long strayed away from God's intent in the Garden of Eden, we didn't even know how to act human anymore. So we have empires. They're built on greed and hatred. They're built on racism. They're built on, on murder and violence and war. And whoever's the biggest and the baddest and the best. And we all think that God's on our side. That God has particular nations that he cares more about than the others. Let me say that's a fallacy. He cares about every individual, every nation. That's what the Bible says. He doesn't take sides. So it's important that we see this, that salvation is about the here and the now. Salvation is participating in the kingdom of God. It's like going to people and saying, you don't know this yet, but you're part of the family of God. God has already done this work, but you can never live in salvation unless you believe it. You're going to keep going on just running your mouth and bitterness and hatred and war and all these other things. I mean, that's what human nature does, right? I mean, it started with Cain. And how many know that Cain, this is beautiful, even when, even when he killed his brother, lied to God, lied to himself, hid the body, do you know what happened? God visited him and then God marked him, not for death, but so that nobody would touch him. It was a a sign of mercy. God was trying to say something that even though you did this, I'm not retributive. I don't do those things back to you. And then what did Cain do? He went and started the first city the first empire. And I'm telling you what, since that time, empire has always ruled by an iron fist. It's always ruled by war. It's it's ruled by greed. It's ruled by violence. It's ruled by anger. And God came through Jesus Christ to say, no more. I'm starting over. Reset button. We should live by love and by peace. I think the hippies got it just a little bit. Now, they might have veered a little bit with some of the mind-altering stuff. But, but it's about love and peace. This is the gospel. And I know sometimes you hear like, yeah, that's great, brother, but what do I need to do? Give me the, give me the big 10 or give me some rules and regulations. Be led by the Spirit. The Spirit will always lead you to walk out love and walk out peace in every situation. It's absolutely amazing. 
So really a big point last week was everyone needs to know about the God who loves and cares for them and who has set everything right, everything right. And I think that we must be aware of the world and what's going on because God's heart is for the entire world to realize who they are and what he's done for them. But I want to talk about this because I think sometimes questions may come up. Questions about, well, does sin really matter? And, and how does God look at sin? And so today I want to talk from this idea, really a question, is sin God's kryptonite? Is sin God's kryptonite? How many are familiar with kryptonite and Superman and how that works? Like when kryptonite was around, Superman couldn't look on it. He couldn't be near it. It, 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 it made him uh, less strong. He lost his power. Is sin God's kryptonite? I want to talk about that today. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for another opportunity to look into your word today. I pray, first of all, that the words I say would be your words, Holy Spirit. Wouldn't be my opinion. I do my best to study scripture, to pray and hear your voice, to have a better understanding. I, my goal is not to lead anybody astray or, or uh, to, to get us so confused that we don't know up from down. Even though you disorient us because your way is so much higher and different than our ways, I also believe that it's a way of simplicity, a way of understanding. I pray today that you would speak through me so we would understand things deeper. And I thank you that we can ask good questions because it's welcome here at Faith City. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Let, let me add that, you really add that to this. That if you ever disagree with me, come talk to me. If you're wondering about a scripture, you see it differently, I'd love to hear it because it makes me dig deeper. Because my goal is not to, let's just have something different because it's different. My goal is to get revelation of what the kingdom's all about. Because I really believe that, that Jesus came to establish a kingdom. He talked about it for three and a half years of ministry. He talked about it over and over and over about establishing a new kingdom where he is the king. But he doesn't rule by violence and war. He rules by love and peace. This is just a constant flow of the life of Jesus. And so I think we need to see things like that. How many could agree with that? How many have ever had an assumption or made an assumption about something or someone? I think all of us can say we have. The word assume in the dictionary means supposed to be the case without proof. That's assume. The word assumption means this, a belief or feeling that something is true or that something will happen although there is no proof. Here's the bottom line with assumption or assuming. It can be very dangerous. When you assume something, it can be very dangerous. I mean, this happens all the time. You assume something as someone because of, of race or color. You assume something as someone because of religion, because of political party. I mean, we assume things. We, what this does is it, first of all, it alienates us from each other. It puts a, a wall between us, and we can't even sit down and talk and reason together and empathize. It's really sad. And we can see this happening here and now. And I don't talk a lot about the issues, but I mean, racism is one of those very things where people don't want to empathize. My flag and my anthem is more important than people. When does a flag or an anthem become more important than people? I know you're like, oh my God, are you one of the kneelers? Here's what I choose to do. I choose to stand with those who stand and kneel with those who kneel. I believe that's what Jesus would do. 
because we empathize with people. We try to understand where they're coming from. Why do they feel that way? It's so easy to just, man, this is in my notes. It's so easy to just glaze over stuff because you don't understand and you don't want to understand. Enough about that. Not getting a whole lot of amens here. I love this country. I'm patriotic. I love the flag. I'm not, I'm just saying, can we look to people and what they're going through and and understand them from their point of view? Can we do that? Because I believe Jesus would. We're going to see that today, what Jesus did, who he hung out with. What he did was totally against the system and it was beautiful because it was love and it was peace. Bottom line, assuming can be dangerous. I've told this story before. Some may remember this, but Kristen and I, we had we were newly married, and, and uh, we were taking this road trip across the state. Um, at that time, she would teach aerobics and kickboxing and stuff. That's why I married her. Um, I'm just kidding. Amen. So, thanks, brother. See, I got an amen off that. The kneeling stuff, no, but aerobics instructor, yes. Yeah. So, anyway, we were going across state, and uh, she had to get a certification, and so we were on our way there, and it was a nice time when we got married with that marriage, I got two wonderful kids, Bianca and Jonathan. They were 10 and 12. I, I fell in love with them as well as her, and it was an awesome thing. But it is cool. How many parents could agree when you get time alone sometimes, right? Okay, our oldest is 28, our youngest is 7. Can I just say, can I get a witness? It's nice when you have alone time sometimes. So we're going across state. And it was, it was nighttime because we were going to stay at a hotel. And then the next day she had to get up early and do the certification. So we're on our way there. And we're just enjoying. I mean, it was like we're, we're freshly married within our first year of marriage. We're just giggling and having fun and just loving each other. And I thought, hey, let's stop and get some snacks because that's just what I do. I love to snack, you know. It's a good thing. And so I see a gas station. I pull into the driveway. I pull up to the front. We get out. We go in. Now, we're probably a little giddy and we're enjoying ourselves. And we're also getting tons of munchies and snacks. So the person behind the counter is probably thinking, what are these guys on? Little did he know, we were just on love, man. We were high on love. So we get our snacks. We go back to the car and put our seatbelt on. I put the key in the ignition. I turn it on and we pull around. And when I pulled in, I had pulled in a driveway on one side of this parking lot. And I thought, well, it'd be quicker if I just swing around and go out the other driveway because there was a driveway on the other side. So I pull around and we're talking, we're starting to get our snacks out, and we're just enjoying each other. And so I start to go out this driveway, but lo and behold, it wasn't a driveway, it was a curb. For some reason, I assumed there was a driveway there. But we went off this curb, and we hit so hard. We were in, is mom here today? Oh, hi, mom. We were in your Cavalier, by the way. So we go off this curb and we smash down so hard. It was like, I mean, like my teeth, I think, clinked together and smashed. I couldn't believe it. And I stopped and we looked at each other. We started laughing hysterically and I just took off as fast as I could. Because I think if that guy didn't think we were high when we first went in, he probably thought we were when we left. I swear to you, I know it was nighttime, but I swear to you, there was a second drive. But guess what? My assumption was wrong. And I found out quickly there wasn't a second driveway. We laugh about it now. It's such a funny story. But it just shows you that sometimes assumptions can be dangerous. I mean, luckily, we were okay, and Mom, your Cavalier was okay, I think. But sometimes assuming can be so dangerous. So I want to talk about this today because last week we talked about the good news really being that good. But I feel what happens is it may have brought up some questions or maybe even some assumptions. 
Is that really true? Is it really that good? Why? Well, because how can we just overlook sin? I mean, God doesn't. And let me say I agree with you. God doesn't overlook sin. He never did. That's why Jesus came. He saw sin. He saw what it was doing to us. And so he, God himself, in the form of human, fully God, fully human, came to experience all the sin that we experience every single day, yet stayed sinless. On the cross, experienced all our sins, sinned into him, violence and murder to an innocent victim. Happens all the time, doesn't it? Isn't it like the world society? And through the resurrection, God says, no, I don't agree with that system. So God dealt with sin on the cross because he couldn't overlook it. But see, here's the big assumption. I want to look at this assumption today. Big assumption. God is so holy that he cannot look upon sin. He's so holy, he's so just that he cannot look upon sin. The question again, is sin God's kryptonite? Let me say this right now though. Theology matters. Theology matters. What is theology? Theology is is how we think and what we say about God. Let me say this to anybody here. If you've ever formed an opinion about God, if you've ever uttered that opinion about God, you were doing theology. This is what theology is, is what we think about God, how he moves, how he acts, what he's about. So theology matters. Saying that God is so holy that he cannot look upon sin, let me just say it right now, is bad theology. And we're going to look at this today. And I'm going to explain to you why that's bad theology. Because if we don't get this right, then we start to look at others differently. And then it becomes, we say it all the time, us and them. But see, never at any point in the ministry of Jesus were there us and them. The only time that you saw him point that finger of accusation is when he was pointing at the accusing temple establishment. Why? Because they were doing the very thing that God did not want to happen. And that's separating ourselves from others, thinking we're better and thinking we're more holy. Do you follow me so far? Just stick with me. By the end, I think you're like, okay, he's not a heretic. He's not a heretic. But it's bad theology to say that God cannot look upon sin. Let's talk about that today. First of all, this idea comes from half of a verse of Scripture. Let's turn to Habakkuk chapter 1. Now, this is one of the minor prophets, Habakkuk. And he asks some questions here to God. Starting in verse 13, he says, Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. So he sees God as pure and holy. How many would agree God is pure and holy? And he says, Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? The New American Standard says, why do you look with favor on those who deal treacherously? Now these are strong words. In a nutshell, what's happening is is this minor prophet is saying, God, you are so holy you are so just that you cannot look up on sin. And then one sentence later says, So why do you? Why do you look upon sin? Why do you show favor to to people who are doing things that are treacherous? Are you doing this right now? Is this disorienting? I mean, Jesus did this all the time. His ways are higher than our ways. The way that we operate this world is not how God intended it. But if you and I can get this right, 
then we'll actually be in the flow of the kingdom of God and operating in love and peace and joy and righteousness and all these things that he's already put in us, these good works. I mean, this is like a natural outflow of who we are in Christ. It's beautiful. So is sin God's kryptonite? How we understand God is determined by looking at Jesus. I think that Jesus should be the lens that we see God through. You know, Jesus said some really important things. First of all, he says that, that God and I are one. Secondly, he says that I only do what I see the Father do. Thirdly, he says, I only say what I see the Father say. Are, are you picking up on this, this vibe here? Jesus was coming to show us who God really was because we didn't completely understand. I mean, there's so many things that blow my mind. I mean, at one point you're looking at, you know, the, the, the Jews in, in Israel and all their sacrifices. And then later in the Psalms and, and then you have some of the prophets saying God never desired sacrifice. He desired mercy and love. And you're like, whoa, what's going on here? What's going on is people were slowly understanding what God was all about. It's this beautiful depiction of the love of God and his goodness and his grace and that it's all about peace. That's Think about a world where we actually loved people and we were peaceful with people. What kind of world would that be? That would go beyond borders. Man, I'm not trying to get political or on nations and borders today, but I'm telling you, if we would live the way that God has called us to live, we wouldn't have things like racism and bigotry and hatred and violence and war. It wouldn't happen. But when is the church going to decide to live out of the kingdom? Because sometimes we look at a political system, we think that system's going to save me. But it's like, wait a minute, what about the Jesus inside you? What does he say about that? And we make government into idol. Listen, I'm not anti-government. I don't want you to get me wrong. I love this country. It is a blessing to live in the United States of America. We're here today meeting uh, with no fear. We're not underground. We don't have to worry about someone shooting us when we walk out the door because we're breaking the law. It's beautiful. But we have brothers and sisters in other countries who they have to go underground to have church. So that tells me something. We can have church anywhere we go. But what would happen if a world actually operated out of the kingdom? That's how we're supposed to operate. So how we understand God is determined by looking at Jesus. So what is the disposition of Jesus towards sinners? Think about that for a minute. What is the disposition of Jesus towards sinners? If you look all through the life of Jesus, can you find one account where Jesus, say he walked into a town, he's like, oh my goodness, that sinner over there, they're so horrible, I can't look at them. Disciples, help me. Come on, guys, we got to get away. I can't be around this. Yeah. Has anyone read that? Is that in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John? You guys are laughing. If you're not familiar with the Bible, Jesus never did that. He never said, I can't look upon. I can't look upon. But guess what? People do. That's why we're having this conversation this morning. And it's, man, you come back next week. I like these amens. But that's why we're having this conversation, and it's not because I'm better than anyone else or I'm doing it right all the time. I still find myself, man, I find myself thinking things that aren't kingdom-minded. I see people, and I realize that, wow, I think I might be prejudiced in that area or, or, or that person or with that thing. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm just being completely transparent and honest. 
And it's not even that, you know, listen, you might've been brought up a certain way. You went through things, you know, uh, people of a certain political view or, or a certain color skin, maybe they, they treated you wrong. And so because of that, you have these preconceived ideas, but we've got to get past that folks. God's called us to a higher calling. It's living out of the kingdom. And so when we see those ugly things within ourselves, because all of us have them, let's be honest. We need to say, all right, Holy Spirit, I see that. I need help. How, how do I work on this? Well, maybe you sit down with somebody who you've had an issue with, somebody of a different color, someone of a different political view, someone of a different religious view. We're so, so quick to say our way is the only way. I like what one guy said. He said, you know, we've got all these denominations from the Orthodox Church, the Catholic Church, early, not during the Renaissance. That was pretty, that was pretty bad and corrupt. But Catholicism and then Protestant and all these different denominations. And we say, who's right? And he says, really, they all are. Because they all have something that was right. I mean, there were times, there were points in time where if you were to look back, you would go, how did the church even make it? Because some bad stuff happened. But truth prevailed and came through. So that's why I love to get together with my fellow pastors in the area, Presbyterian, uh, Lutheran, Baptist, non-denominational, and hear about what they're doing and, and see value in what they're doing and what they're bringing to people. Because just because I'm non-denominational, that's a real easy way to say I'm not any denominations. But really, we are. We all have our ideas, right, and our background. And not saying just, oh, one world, everybody together. I'm saying, what is truth? Maybe there's some truth to what he's saying and, and what she's saying and what they're saying and what I'm saying. And together, like, this is the kingdom. This is the body. We're all different, but we're the same body. As long as Jesus is the center of everything, right? Jesus has got to be the center or it's off. Then it goes into, it's not the church anymore. It's a false religion. But when Jesus is the center, let's be careful not to point fingers too quick and say, you're off because you don't believe like me. Is Jesus the center of everything? So what is the disposition of Jesus? Again, he never said, oh my goodness, that center, I can't look upon them. He did the exact opposite. But people do. In fact, this is interesting. I was studying this out. And in, how many know what a Pharisee is? Have you heard of the Pharisees, part of the, the religious temple establishment? And not everyone was bad. You know, now people are like, we hate the Jews. No, 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 that's not the point. We're not hating Jews. We're not hating the temple system. They were doing what they thought was right. But there were some Pharisees that were, this was their, their label, the blind and bleeding Pharisees. And they would literally walk around with blindfolds or coverings over their eyes so they wouldn't gaze upon sin. I mean, this is, this is, I mean, come on, props to them, right? Like they were really trying to be holy. They were trying to live right. And so they would have these blinders on. They would have these, you know, uh, something to cover their eyes because they didn't want to see sin. And, and more specifically, they wouldn't want to look upon a woman to lust after her or because in the law, a woman was deemed unclean during that time of the month, they wouldn't want to be around, see, or even touch because it would make them unclean. So they would cover their eyes so they wouldn't see him. So they were called the blind Pharisees. Now they were called bleeding because they bumped into stuff a lot. No, look, I'm not even kidding you. They would trip and fall, bumps, bruises, and bleeding. That's why we're the blind and the bleeding Pharisees. Talk about a walk of faith. Amen. Brother, are you there? I guess not. Literal people, the blind and the bleeding Pharisees. See, the issue with this is they had this idea that holiness was being puritanical. In other words, 
practicing very strict religious uh, beliefs, very strict religious behavior. This is how I achieve holiness. What I love here in the new covenant is we're holy because he's holy and he's made us holy. Thank God we don't have to go around with coverings on our eyes. But see, what happened, religion does this. It, it starts to do the us and them thing. It separates us and we start to look at others as if, well, they're dirty and rotten and I'm okay because I prayed the 37-word prayer, you know, the sinner's prayer, and, and God's good with me and I'm trying to live right and act right, but look at them. I think that's why it's so important to see this reconciliation aspect. It's important to see that there's brothers and sisters of ours who don't even know they're part of the family. They live as orphans. Think about this. If you were to go to someone who was an orphan and say, oh my gosh, I don't know if you know this, but you have a family. And be like, what do you mean I'm an orphan? No, you have a family. They live over there. In fact, they're very wealthy. They're like, are you kidding me? I never knew this. This is what we do when we, when we preach the gospel. We say to people, you didn't know this, but you have a family. You're God's offspring. Will you believe? Why? So that I can now live salvation, preservation, safety, health, wholeness, Deliverance right here, right now. I think it's beautiful that heaven is now. It's not about the sweet by and by. And I believe in eternity. And, and I know this, I'm going to be with my heavenly father in eternity. How about you? It's, it's a beautiful thing. But what about here and now? And this is why there's people, and I don't blame them, but they're like, Lord, man, I'm praying for more wars. I'm praying for more stuff to happen. And I'm doing rapture practice because Lord, take us out of here. I got to go, man. I got to go. But God created man, put him in the earth and said, this is your rule. This is your domain. Why would it change? And I've often said this, if that's true, when we pray that sinner's prayer, why do they go, okay, back in heaven, back in heaven, back in heaven, because we're meant for the earth. See, Jesus prayed a prayer. He says, on earth as it is in heaven. And so our job, if you will, is to bring heaven into this earth. Bring this beautiful parallel kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, into this earth through us. Righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Ghost. This is really what we do. But holiness really means this. It means that we're set apart. I love this word. We could even say it's transcendent transcendent. We've been placed into a place beyond the range of normal. See, to live in this world according to the world system, that's normal. But what what God has done is he's taken us from the kingdom of this world to the kingdom of darkness, and he's placed us into, and it's more here than anything, he's placed us into the kingdom of heaven, into his way of thinking, into his way of doing things. And he's saying whenever you revert back to that worldly way of doing, it's always going to hurt people. It's never going to, it's going to go against the grain of my love. Stay here in the kingdom, live out the kingdom before men, and they'll go, there's something different about you. The way you respond to people, to situations, how you handle things in life, it's different. Why? And you can say, because I've awoken to something beautiful, the kingdom of God. And this is how I live now. Holiness is being set apart. It's living from the kingdom of God rather than living from the kingdom of this world. So think about this. When Jesus encounters sinners, he's never appalled. He's never offended. If you read any of the Gospels, he never gets offended at a sinner. 
He doesn't say that he can't bear to look at them. This is what's crazy. He's willing to dine with them. Now we're like, yeah, yeah, dude, let's go to McDonald's together. Let's go grab a steak. Like, let's grab a coffee. No, no. In, in, in the time of Jesus, this was a big deal when you would dine with somebody. This was a huge deal. It was highly controversial because when you dined with someone, you were saying that you accepted them. And here's the issue, too. We, we think of the idea of a sinner as someone who maybe does sin, someone who's sinned. But back then, it was a technical term. Now, hear me out here. This was a technical term. There were certain people who in some way committed a moral outrage that caused them to be completely separated from temple worship. So whatever they did, the the good Jews would get together and say, you did this, we no longer accept you. You can't even worship with us. Don't come near us. Isn't that horrible? But we do that in the church sometimes. When someone slips, they mess up. They, they do something that goes against the grain. We make them an outcast. We shut them out instead of saying, let's sit down and let's work through this. I'm not condoning what you did. It hurt you. It, it messed up your family. It screwed up your life and your job. I mean, this isn't a good thing, but I accept you where you are. Can I empathize? Can I pray with you? Can I work through this issue with you? This is what the church is supposed to do. We're supposed to help each other. We're supposed to lift each other up. And some people, we get, we get scared. We're like, well, that means you're saying what they did is okay. No, and in fact, they probably know what they did wasn't okay because they're suffering tragically for it. So why would we add insult to injury by saying, yeah, we don't welcome you either. I guess go figure it out yourself. But Jesus never did that. So these people were, they were told formally that you no longer are allowed to participate in regular worship with us. You are a sinner. And have you ever noticed it says sinners and tax collectors or tax collectors and sinners? Well, you know, we joke about that because we correlate that to IRS. But really, the reason they were considered a sinner is because they sold their people out for financial gain. And that's why they're included in that. They said, we will help Rome get money, and I'll take some and put it in my pocket, and I'll pat them really, really thick. Zacchaeus was one of those people. Man, Jesus didn't shun him. Jesus actually went and said, hey, I want to go to your house. And he's like, what, my house? In just a little time with Jesus, the next thing you know, he's like, I'm paying every, everyone back. I'm giving them extra. I'm giving to the poor. What happened? Jesus said, salvation has come to this house today. It wasn't a ticket to heaven. He was made whole and complete. He was delivered from greed. And so salvation came to the house because he saw things according to the kingdom and said, wow, it's about love, it's about peace, it's about giving. And Jesus said, salvation has come to your house today. Isn't that beautiful? So these people became moral outcasts. They were looked at as the us and the them. Good Jews should have nothing to do with these people, yet Jesus was willing to, to dine with them. Completely scandalous. Can you see why the religious system was like, how is he doing this? In fact, do you know, how many have heard the term Jesus, friend of sinners? Do you know that that's a term that came from the religious establishment? They would say Jesus, friend of sinners. Now when you hear that, you're like, yeah, praise the Lord. He loves sinners. But it was an insult to Jesus. They were saying, oh yeah, yeah, he's that guy that hangs out with the sinners, with the outcasts. Can you believe it? Let's go to the temple and worship. (laughs) These people were going to worship a God they didn't even know. 
Some of them. Now, there were, there were a lot of Pharisees and religious leaders who actually believed Jesus was the Messiah. They chose to follow him, sometimes secretly, right? Let's make sure it's all good. Then he died on the cross. They're like, what the? <laughs> right? But then he rose again. I mean, that's the beautiful story of Jesus coming, that he rose again. Thank God. Amen. So how did Jesus look at people? He was a friend of sinners. So Jesus is the revelation of who God is. We have to remember that first and foremost. And when we look at his demeanor towards sinners, it's not one of distancing himself or being too holy to look upon them. In fact, it's the very opposite. Now, as we're going through this process, I know that some of us are thinking, yeah, I hear you, but what about the cross? Something happened on the cross. When Jesus is on the cross, they call it the cry of dereliction. And he says these words, Eli, Eli, Lama, Sabatani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there's been a lot of teachings that have come from the church that say, see right there, Jesus had taken all the sin of the world upon him. And God looked down and went, there's the sin. And he turned away. It's a great story, right? Like it gets your emotions going. It's the only time God turned his back on Jesus. I want to show us something really cool today. Let's turn to Psalm chapter 22. Psalm chapter 22. I think about that idea of Jesus saying, my God, why have you forsaken me? Here's Jesus on the cross experiencing probably the the worst of the worst of his entire life. And he says these words, but you know what? We have too. How many have thought that before? Uttered those words. Maybe not God, why have you forsaken me? Like God, where are you? God, what is going on right now? I'm going through this situation. We talked a few weeks ago about Jesus and the boat sleeping. The storm comes up and the disciples go to Jesus, who, by the way, is sleeping on a pillow, complete rest in the midst of the storm, right? And they say, Jesus, wake up. Do you not care? They could have said, why have you forsaken us? We're going to die out here. See, as, as humanity, I've said this often in my life. God, why have you forsaken me? Where are you? I need your help right now. It seems like you're not around. And Jesus, who, who took on the form of human, he wasn't just like, it wasn't Halloween. He was putting on like a flesh suit. Like, hey, I'm a human today. <laughs> Trick or treat. He became a full human being. Fully God, fully man. I mean, the church has believed this for centuries. And so he's experiencing everything that a human would experience. Rejection, pain, suffering, violence. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, if you were a Jew standing at the foot of the cross or with an earshot, a good Jew knew their Bible. And as soon as he said those words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? They would have went to the Psalm, Psalm 22. And, and it's interesting, whether he was praying a prayer or singing a song, is a lot of times they would sing the psalms, and then those who knew would join in. You ever been in the car, and you just kick on the radio, and all of a sudden the song, you might even hate the song. It comes on, and all of a sudden you're like, you start singing along. At least the choruses, because we don't know the verses, right? You're singing the choruses. It's the same thing. As soon as they heard these words, they went, it's a psalm. It's the prophetic psalm of the Messiah. Let's read it. Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night, but I find no rest. This 
This is Jesus going through the worst point of his life, saying, God, I feel abandoned. But I want us to look a little further. Just just hear this out. I don't have the scriptures up. Verse 6 says, but I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. Verse 16 says, dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircle me. They pierce my hands and my feet. And you imagine people singing this song and all of a sudden they realize it's him. It's the Messiah. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. This was all happening at the cross. And he's singing this song. Verse 23, you who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him, revere him. All you descendants of Israel. And look at this, verse 24, read this with me. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. Better yet, he has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. Do you see it? God didn't hide his face. He didn't turn away. He didn't turn away. This is beautiful to me. Jesus, being human, felt as if he was being abandoned, but he wasn't. He was there the whole time. He heard his cry. He even answered him. And verse 31 says, they will proclaim his righteousness. See how it gets better? Declaring to a people yet unborn, listen to this, he has done it. Translation, it is finished. Isn't that powerful? What amazes me is that Jesus going through that on the cross. He says, forgive them. If they know not what they do. When humanity did what humanity does best, violence and murder, he says, forgive them. And then he raises again from the dead and the first words out of his mouth are, peace be with you. You getting Holy Ghost goosebumps? I know I am. Because you're realizing that this is what the kingdom is about. You're realizing that God never turned his back. I, I've heard stories and it sounds great. God turned his back on Jesus so he wouldn't have to on you. And it sounds good, but it's not the truth. What's even better is he never turned his back on Jesus. And he'll never turn his back on you. You can have the worst day of your life. He won't turn his back on you. So pastor, what's the answer? Does does it not matter what I do? Yeah. That's why a lot of us are in the predicament we're in right now. That's why a lot of us, listen, sin has consequences. The wages of sin is death, whether it's physical, uh, whether it's death to relationships, whether it's death to your job. There's a lot of loss that transpires. That's why God doesn't want us to sin because of what it does to us. I think it's important that we need to see this, that God does not turn his back on us. While we're yet sinners, Christ died for us, the world. His position as father is his face is always shining towards us. What about the discipline of the Lord? 
It's always training me for my future. It's training me out of things that are hurting me. It's training me out of old ideas and thought patterns. You know, Romans 12, 2, we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. It's a constant mind change, which is, by the way, that's what repentance means. It's a constant mind change. And he's constantly saying, here, here, let's, let's view it a different way. View it my way. Look at it through the kingdom. Look at it through love. Look at it through peace. Look at it through righteousness. Look at it through joy. This is the kingdom. Will you look at things the way that I look at things? Not because I want you to because I'm big God and I have a big ego. No, because I know what's best for you because I created you. You're the creation. I'm the creator. But he never turns his back on us. Jesus made us a promise. He said, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. These are beautiful words. If you're going through addiction, if you're going through issues in your life, if it seems like you can't break old habits Tap into the kingdom. Don't do it on your own. It's only by his strength that you can do things anyway. But God never, ever turns his back on you. He's there to train you, to teach you, to teach you the ways of godliness and righteousness because that's who you really are. But God never has an issue with sin. It's not a kryptonite. I can't look up on you. He has issue with sin because of what it does to his children. Does that make sense? So never walk away saying, Pastor Andy said, sin's okay. No, it isn't. It's going to burn you. It's going to sting. But the only answer is Jesus. The only answer is his power moving through your life, his love moving through your life. It's never, I got a list, I'm going to stick to it, and I'm going to try harder. It never works. We'll fail every time. Amen. So on the cross, Jesus is experiencing all that it means to be human. All that it means to be human. Fully God, fully human. Jesus enters the world. He lives. He approaches death the same way we do. Why? To show us that he understands. He empathizes. And to show us a different and a better way. And in this moment of torture, in this moment of mocking and persecution, he feels God forsaken. But guess what? There's never a separation from God. God never separates himself from his son. The father never turns against the son. Jesus said, I and the father are one, and that never changes. So is sin God's kryptonite? The answer is no. I know it's pretty quiet in here, but the answer is no. Is sin good and okay? Nope. But is sin God's kryptonite? No. What's the takeaway today? It's the idea that there's not an us and them. I want to get us out of this mentality. Jesus came to make us all one and together. Jew, the Greek, male, female. The gospel's for everybody. Living from the kingdom is for everybody. So the takeaway today is embrace people. Love humanity. Be more human. But embrace people. Love humanity. Proclaim the wonderful gospel. And don't leave anyone out. Because it's for everybody. Amen. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. I pray today that Repentance has gone on. Repentance is simply changing our minds, seeing things differently, and realizing that your way is better than our way, and choosing to turn and go the other direction. This is a hard 
a hard subject. It really is. Especially in the state that we are here in this great nation with so many divisions and schisms. You didn't come to sow discord. You didn't come to pick one person over the other. You came to bring peace. You came to bring love. This is the way that we should live as your sons, as your daughters. I pray that as we go out today and we come across people who seem different than us, who live different lives than us, that, that maybe instead of us wanting them to change, that we would actually change in our minds about them. We would actually do what you said. Jesus, you said, love your enemy. <laughs> That's good news because all of us probably have an enemy and you're saying to love them. You say, pray for those who despitefully use you. It's disorienting. It's the kingdom of God. It's so different than the kingdom of this world. I pray that we would see people differently. We would see them uh, with your heart. We would see them in the light of who they are, that they've been reconciled to you. They've been brought into favor with you. The only difference is we believe and they don't yet, whether they don't understand it, they don't know about it. I pray that we would have such a heart that we aren't willing that any should perish because you're not willing that any should perish. That we would never take an attitude to a certain person because we don't like them. Well, I just hope they go to hell. Are you kidding me? That's never your heart. Let us declare the beautiful gospel, the good news of reconciliation. And I pray that people would hear our words. It would soften hearts. Holy Spirit, you're already preparing those situations and people would say, yes, I believe. I've never heard it this way. This is beautiful. It's almost too good to be true. It's called the gospel. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.